As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 275. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Hope your summer's off to a great start. Can't believe it's July already. Summer's going by fast. It's going fast for me. Of course, I've been uh, back at American Airlines starting training again, starting 737 training here in mid-July. But in the meantime, in between... I'm getting Dose of Leadership episodes ready, and today I got Chuck Gumbert on the show. You know, one of the great things about doing Dose of Leadership, I meet so many fabulous people. I last three and a half years, I've created this personal professional network that was beyond my wildest dreams, and one a great uh, meeting occurred here in Wichita, my hometown. I met a fellow gold winger, fellow naval, naval aviator, Chuck Gumbert, and he reached out, and uh, we became... Uh, friends, and he's turned into uh, a personal mentor of mine. And uh, I can't say enough about Chuck. He is considered what they call the turnaround specialist, and he's a former Navy F-14 pilot, a yeah, fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy. He graduated top of his class. Well, he's he's a recognized business leader. He's an entrepreneur. He's a speaker. Speaker. He's a mentor, and uh, he talks leadership. And one day. Uh, a few weeks ago, right before I was leaving for training in American, we sat down face-to-face out at uh, Wichita Mid-Continent Airport in a nice office there, and we started talking about leadership and life and aviation. And I really enjoyed this conversation. You're really going to enjoy Chuck. He's the author of a couple of books, and um, I've always been a fan of, big fan of Patton. But uh, Chuck's book, Accelerating Performance, uh, really dives into Patton. Chuck knows a lot about Patton, and um, I thought I knew a lot about Patton, but uh, there's so much I didn't know, and Chuck's a great resource um, in business and leadership and in life. Anyway, I can't say enough about Chuck. Uh, you can find out more about his personal website, chuckgumbert.com. I'll have links to it on this post, but you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Chuck. His latest book, Pinnacle Leadership, How to Navigate Change, Move Forward, and Reach Your Peak, it's where he breaks down his personal renowned success model, and it delivers these practical solutions for you and your team. It's got a book. I used it and um, even for myself and where I'm going entrepreneurially and personally and professionally. It's a great book. It's a great tool. Um, again, I can't say enough about Chuck. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. Again, I hope your summer's going well. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. 
You can learn more about the services I provide, speaking, coaching, masterminding. It's all available at my personal website, richardryerson.com. You can also get there through doseofleadership.com, and you can find uh, the links at the top of the page and, and find a way to richardryerson.com. Let me know where you're at. I always love hearing from my listeners. I appreciate your support, and I'm always willing to engage in conversations on where you're at in your leadership journey. All right. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review Dose of Leadership. Um, Take the time to download it to your mobile device. Leave a rating and review at Stitcher or iTunes. It does so much to support the uh, visibility of the show. And again, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for all your emails. And again, without further ado, here's my conversation with Chuck Gumbert on Dose of Leadership. Well, Chuck, it's a pleasure to sit down there face-to-face. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is the first for me. You know, we're trying out this new gizmo here. I usually do these interviews over Skype or the phone, so you're my guinea pig. I'm doing it face-to-face. So, But I think this is working out great. I like this because it's, it's sometimes it's challenging. I have honed my listening skills, though, <laughs> but having face-to-face is a treat for me. But uh, welcome to the show. And like I said, Chuck, um, I met you. How long has it been? Has it been... Three or four months, maybe? It's been closer to six when we first connected six? on LinkedIn. God, I can't believe it. But you're a fellow gold winger. Mm-hmm. You picked the wrong service, though. You picked the Navy. Of course, I did the Marine Corps way. But, uh, I well, what's funny is everybody in flight school when I was going through says, Gumbert, you should have been a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to connect with a fellow gold winger here in town. I think you're the first guy that I've really connected with that's passionate about leadership like like I am and uh, it's a fellow gold winger but uh, yeah give us a little background about yourself and like how you made it to Wichita how you became a Navy pilot all that stuff give me a quick synopsis well it's been it's been a long road um, when I was a youngster five or six years old I was living out in the country up in Michigan mm-hmm. and one day there was a local air show in town and we didn't go to the air show but all of those fighter jets were flying over the house at a very high speed and very low altitude. Right. And man, that made an impression on me. And ever since that age, yeah. I was gonna be I was gonna be a pilot. I mean at the same time the Mercury program was getting fired up. Oh and, yeah. Uh, my dad was working in a shop that made parts for the, both the Mercury and the Gemini and later the Apollo programs. So I mean aviation was in my blood. Yeah. And going through high school and such it was I was gonna be an airline pilot. So as soon as I finished high school, started to take flying lessons, picked up my license within about 18 months, started to fly as I was going through college. And about halfway through college, I realized I'm not going to have enough hours to get on with the airlines. So I started poking around, figuring out how we're going to do this. And to make a long story short, ended up in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And they were kind enough to give me the keys to an F-14 for a yeah. few years. Wow. So we did that, flying both day and night off the carrier. Uh, out in uh, San Diego with part of VF-111. Yeah. Finished that stint. It actually came down to becoming single and staying in or being married and getting out. Right. She won, and I have absolutely no regrets yeah, at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But then uh, interviewed with the airlines, both American and Northwest. I got called back for second interviews. And they had just gone to the B scale on the, on the salary, so all the salaries basically got cut in half. Mm-hmm. And, and one weekend, it was amazing. It had a revelation. I knew I could fly from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. I could shoot an approach in some pretty nasty weather. I could land on a pitching deck in the middle of the Indian Ocean at night. Right. Am I going to be happy driving a bus for the next 30 years? And the answer was no. Right. And I'll I'll never forget the lady in American Airlines. I I called her on the phone to cancel the interview, and she she was just stunned. Really? So I took all of that energy and went into business. I started working 
in a jet engine overhaul shop in Dallas as customer service. Left there, uh, went and worked with another group, jet engine repair, uh, basically competing with the co company I was with at the time. Then uh, translated up into jet engine parts, and then worked myself up through middle management, upper management, to the point that uh, well, probably 10 years ago I was running a $100 million plus machine shop, an assembly shop, right here in Wichita. Right. So it's been, it's been a good run. And that's what brought you to Wichita, right? From doing that, what yeah, yeah what what took place was I kind of got labeled as a turnaround artist, mm. the turnaround guy. Yeah, and usually what would happen was a company would buy another company, they would try to leave the current leadership in place, and the current leadership in place wasn't going to change. Yeah. So then about a year later, I would get the call, Chuck, we've got this business, it's not going well, it's not going the way we wanted to, can you come down and help? And nine times out of ten, what would happen was I'd come down as an employee, as the senior guy. And we'd fix it, 18, 24, 48 months. Then they'd sell it. And it was, hey, Chuck, really appreciate you stopping by, but here come the new owners, and then I'd go off and do another one. Um, that culminated in 2009 when I got laid off right here in town. And I said, you know, I've kind of got a little bit of expertise here helping people run and fix businesses. Right. So I started my own little consulting business called the Tomcat Group. You became the entrepreneur at that point. Yes, and sir. It's an amazing to listen to that journey because, um, particularly from the flying side of it, and I'm curious if, if you had the same experience as I did, um, I love the fact that you were one of those kids that you got hooked by aviation early on. Mm -hmm. I got hooked on it too, and I was real passionate about the astronaut program, but I put it out of my mind that I didn't know the avenues. And so I never thought, you know, I didn't always have that, I'm always going to be a pilot. Mm -hmm. But when the opportunity presented itself, I signed up on the spot, and it was the best thing. Now, when I got out, I didn't realize, um, and I was forced out on 9-11, I was like, all I know, I remember saying to myself, my mindset was, all I know how to do is fly airplanes, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. I had the same thoughts. And when I got away from it, being in the cockpit, being an officer, sure, helped, but being in the cockpit and flying a multi-crew aircraft and doing all the stuff aviation, there are so many skills. It's like a microcosm of leadership and business development and one evolution that translates to the business world. There isn't a day that doesn't go by that I don't reflect back on my flying career mm -hmm. and apply it to my everyday life. Did you have the same experience? Exactly the same experience. Yeah. Um, what, what I have always found in business is I, I, I work with a lot of companies and they really don't have an overall plan mm. of, I mean, they've kind of got a concept of where they want to take the business or what they want to go do. Right. But it, it kind of loses its focus and its intensity and purpose as they go through the day-to-day. The -day. Mm -hmm. Now, you know as well as I do, when we go fly, whether it's a, it's a civilian airplane or mil military, I mean, you need to know where you're going, yep. how you're going to get there, how much gas it's going to take, right. what ordinance you need to have on the airplane. What, what the weather's like at, at, at yep. both ends, mm -hmm. you know, how high you're going to fly the whole bit. Because it's not just, hey, let's go up and just fly around today. Yeah. And in, in business, it's the same thing. Yep. You know, I mean, you've, you've got the, the leader of the organization, which is extremely important, needs to establish the vision, i.e., where are we going? What is our destination? And then he develops the strategy. How are we going to get there? What's the route of flight? What altitude, the fuel, the whole, mm -hmm. whole bit? And then we break that down into individual tactical plans that are aligned. I mean, a lot of organizations, I mean, yeah, there's 52 different plans out there. Yep. But they don't... They're not aligned. Yeah. They're not no, aligned. That's a great point. I've seen the exact same thing where... And it's almost like the planning, 
they get tripped up on the planning, from my experience in, this, in the businesses I've worked in and with, is that they'll do the plan, but they, they, they miss the point of the planning. Like when we go plan for a flight here to wherever, mm-hmm. and there's 20 waypoints in between, each of those waypoints down to the second to the tenth of a pound, how much gas I'm going to get. Exactly. And that's good information. But I equate to where I've seen people miss the mark is if you're measuring your success on hitting each one of those waypoints, and I check them when I get, hey, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. Your scorecard. My scorecard, and that's a good thing. But the second I go from here, my first waypoint is Kansas City, and i got a thunderstorm in front of me and i got to deviate, my plan has changed. And that's where I see people kind of getting wrapped around the axle. Mm-hmm. The plan is essentially, air quotes, worthless in that sense. But it's not worthless in the sense because I always know what my outcome is. Right, I mean? So my mm-hmm. pivot point at that point is always focusing on the outcome. And I guess where I'm going is where I see people miss the boat. They get so wrapped around the axle of hitting each one of those measuring points mm-hmm. when really the ultimate goal is to get <laughs> to the outcome with a warm and pink body, you know, without bent metal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? And sure I does. see people getting so caught up in these waypoint pieces and forgetting about the outcome. Mm-hmm. I take off and i got to deviate my first point and people... The equivalent is I see people freaking out saying, i got to rework the plan. No, work the outcome. Can you still get to your destination on time That's safely right. with the same amount of gas or with enough gas? Mm-hmm. It's extremely important. Business is the same. General Eisenhower during World War II, one of his, his famous quotes was, once the war starts, once the battle starts, the plan is useless. Yep. But the planning is it's indispensable. Essential. That's right. You've got to have yep. the planning. And that's what I try to take to these entrepreneurs and, and CEOs out there is you've got to have the plan and, and you've got to have the audacity, as Patton would say, to stick with the plan. Yeah. Stick with it. Sure, you're going to have to deviate, adjust, adapt, and overcome. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to have to work ourselves through it. But the destination never changes. Right. How you're going to get there very well may mm-hmm. change, but you're still going to get there. It's like the subtle difference between why do we plan. I think that's what that's what I've I've tried to articulate or, or I've tried to, what I've observed. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between why do we plan and how do I even articulate this? It's the difference of knowing that the plan is that I plan to help me deal with the inevitable unforeseen. Mm-hmm. The plan m- helps me remain calm and confident and consistent when the unexpected is, is going to happen. Whereas some people, I think, they think, I plan so I can avoid this unforeseen. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? There. There is. I, uh, one of the businesses I ran was acquired by a, uh, uh, a rather r- very large company. And what they did during the integration process was they wanted us to put together every possible contingency that could, or yeah. issue that could come up. Right. And we'd have to put together uh, uh, risk aversion plans for every one of those. And, and sure enough, you do all of that, and you think you've thought of everything, but sure as heck, something crawls something. out of the woodwork. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. But instead of working the problem, we get ourselves all focused on, oh, my God, why didn't we know about this? Yeah, and we insert more detail, more control, more granular plans. More people. More people, and we're creating cost, cost and more friction. And we're, we're, we're creating exactly what we thought we were trying to prevent, right? Yeah. Work the problem. Work the problem. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, and this goes back to the fly, my, my flying days. I can't tell you how many times somebody walks into my office and there's a problem out in the shop. 
And it's not a big problem. I mean, we're going to miss the delivery. And the ops manager, whoever it is, customer service manager will come in, eyes as big around as saucers, and they're talking to you 135 decibels, and, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I go, oh, stop, stop. Did anybody die? No. (laughs) Is anybody going to die? No. Okay, stop. Let's put it in perspective. Let's work the problem, people. Right. Work the problem. Work the problem. Gene Krantz. Gene Krantz. Apollo 13. Work the problem. Work the problem. Exactly. That's it's exactly always having that is. outcome in mind. You know, instead of working the plan, and like to your point, and that's what I've seen. I've seen it, particularly in the aircraft industry, a large institution. We we needed more detail. Right. The conversation. We should have known. We should have known that this was going to happen. That's the language that I hear. Mm-hmm. We are the expert planners. We need to be the to avoid all of this. You know setbacks, we need to become professionals in planning. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'd rather hear you say, let's become the best executioners of the plan that we put into place. Exactly. Which means being prepared or not flipping a wig, remaining calm and confident when the inevitable happens. Mm-hmm. When the thunderstorm crops up, when I wasn't planning on this fire engine to catch on fire, right? What do we do? We work the problem. We work the problem. And then we well, I know I need to be, is, can I still make my outcome? If not, then let's deviate and go, right? That's right. Go work a different plan. Right. But that's where the planning right. really comes in. Exactly. Um, the, and that's where the leadership piece comes in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've worked with organizations where, yeah, there's what I would consider a small little problem. But the leader gets so excited and so jazzed and so, I mean, he gets his whole team wound up and all of a sudden you've got a tornado. Yeah which you really don't need to have. And you got the whole organization just reacting the way to the way the leader reacted. Yep. And what I've learned is, okay, I don't need the full story. Mm-mm. I just need the hardcore details yeah. so I can help listen and help fix the problem. Yeah. Because I see a lot of leaders out there, they're so concerned about that magic make the month. Yeah. MTM, not yeah. Mary Tyler Moore, but make, <laughs> make the, the month. month. Because, man, if I don't hit the revenue target, I'm going to have to report to somebody that I didn't do that. And then there's a whole big, long line of questioning up there. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the organization degenerates into banging on the top of what I call the pyramid. I want success, success, success. I want numbers, numbers, numbers. And then every system known to man in place within the organization goes right out the window because all we're going to do is focus on making the month. Yeah, we're just, we're, we're just focusing on the short-term reactionary instead of playing the long game. We're shipping the big product, the, the expensive product, the one that's got the most revenue. We're... You know, running uh, hog wild on overtime to try and get the stuff out the door. We're shipping eighty percent of our month the last week. I mean, that just that just drives total chaos. It's interesting that you bring up leadership, and I know that's one of your foundations of your your. Um, is it the second book, Pinnacle Leadership? Was your second book? That second you wrote? book, Pinnacle yeah. Leadership. And Pinnacle Leadership, the foundation you put as kind of the base of the pyramid, um, is leadership. What do you? I'm curious about, and you kind of touched a little bit on what that means to you, and then what I heard you say, which I think is critical. And again, going back to the flying, which taught me this calming force, the learning, the the, the essential of at having the appearance of always being calm, even though you may internally feel like mush inside. But that compartmentalization is so critical. A skill I definitely learned flying planes, right? Particularly, you know, even though in Sully Solenberger landing on the Hudson said it was the worst, most petrifying, sinking feeling I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. 
but even the guy next to him would have known it, right? All that experience, education, and training, and planning, and forethought came to play at that critical moment. Sure did. But he was scared to death. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing that I, w- I think people should understand, that mm-hmm. as a leader, you may feel completely petrified, but that compartmentalization is so foundational for for leadership. Is that, am I hitting the mark? I know there's so much more to leadership. I mean, it's such a broad term. Mm-hmm. But that calming force in a chaotic situation is so needed and so critical. And that's where I see a lot of leaders losing their credibility almost instantaneously because they, they, they can't compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Controlling emotions mm-hmm. is key. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been on airplanes where, you know, the engine fire light comes on or, you know, the, the weather's a lot worse than it was. You know, or, oh, shoot, what was that noise? Yeah. You know, that's, that's the last thing you want to hear. You know, exactly. Your, your, your co-pilot saying, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's leadership is, is having the confidence to establish the direction and help align the resources across the organization towards that destination and then work the problem, not yourself, but working with the team, letting the team solve the problem. Now, you might stand over there and, you know, you know, we, we might want to think about this, we might want to think about this, but you're not solving the problem. They are. Yes. And, and that's where a lot of companies get in trouble is, well, I can't, I can't authorize the overtime until the boss says so. Whoa, really? You're going you're gonna to micromanage it down to, yeah. to that level? I mean, yeah, I've seen it with, with, with hiring and such, with, with, with those type things. I mean, that's, that, that's normal, but you know, getting it to the point where you know, I can't authorize two hours of overtime so we can get this particular job mm-hmm. done on time. Then the other part of it as leader is to establish not just the destination and how we're going to get there, but the metrics along the way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if we're going to fly from here to Kansas City and it's an hour in, in my airplane, well, about 30 minutes, I probably need to be to Emporia. Yeah. Well, if I'm not... Something's going on here. That's right. The headwind's bigger than it was, uh-huh. or I got routed, or you know, yep. something's up. So, so we need to measure our, our progress. And what I work with companies on is put together a balanced scorecard or a dashboard, which is just like the instrument panel that we had in the airplane. Right. It tells us what the altitude is and tells us what the airspeed is and you know, whether we're upside down or right side up and what the engines are doing and how much fuel we have. It's the same thing with the business. Yeah. And a lot of businesses get so focused on, like I mentioned earlier, making the month revenue-wise, that all of those other metrics go right out the window because all we're focused on is, I've got to get this revenue number. Right. Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead, and that doesn't work. What do you think are some key metrics? I think I found that has been a big challenge for particularly large organizations. I've seen it where both extremes. I don't know what to measure, so we're not measuring anything. We're mm-hmm. just we're going to Kansas City, mm-hmm. and let's hope we get there in an hour. <laughs> you know, or oh my God. I've got 200 waypoints between here and Kansas City, and not only their the, the, the waypoints, I've got other met- – it's, it's all over the board. I've got 35 <laughs> metrics, and what I've seen are people chasing metrics, and we're not – just for the sake of chasing metrics. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you think is a healthy balance, and, and what are some of the key criticals? Because just like in, your, in a cockpit, I like that, that analogy as we're looking in there. The most beautiful airplanes that we've flown, you know, that you've we've seen it. You've probably flown some like, ah, oh, this scan is horrible. It's all it's like it's been a mismatch. Some but of those old airplanes. Some of those sure. old ones. You're like, 
and you've flown some that are, or you've seen some, like, wow, this is just, it's, everything is just in the right place. It's easy to find. It's easy to see instantaneously, you know, it's green, red, you know, you can mm-hmm. see, and you can, you can almost in a glance, which is the ideal, in less than five seconds, I know exactly the status of the situation. That's the ideal. How do we get there, do you think? I mean, because how do you get it to where you're not chasing so many damn metrics that, you know what I mean? They're meaningless. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's funny you say that because I've worked with organizations where they've had as many as 75 metrics oh, on a scorecard. And in order to develop those metrics, you've got to have people go chase those numbers. Yeah. And it's not like it just comes out of the system right. somewhere. It's ch- you're creating churn when you're doing that, right? That's right. I mean, I mean, and it's the, the uh, whole organization becomes a slave to putting the metrics together. Exactly. What I do is I work with companies to develop very, very simple upfront what's really important. Yeah. And the biggest one to me, other than the financials, is on-time delivery. Yeah. Because to me, that drives everything else. And I'm not just talking about the big jobs that, that are due. I'm talking about the small ones. You know, the four-inch by four-inch piece of sheet metal with four holes in it that we can't finish, you know, a, a part over here at one of the local uh, uh, aircraft manufacturers without. Is that on time? And not just one piece. Is all of it on time? And that's, that's a big one with me, on-time delivery. Right. The next one is cost. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great that the sales guy sold that for a dollar. But when the ops guy comes in and says, It cost me two. It cost me two dollars just for material. <laughs> right. You know, wait a minute, that goes back to the mm-hmm. the alignment piece. So I'm always tracking on time delivery, I'm tracking cost. And then the other big one is inventory. Yeah. I mean, nothing upsets me more than to walk out to a machine out in a shop and they're making twelve months worth of inventory. Yeah. And you you go, why? Hey guys. And on the surface, if you're not digging into that, it's like, man, look how busy we are. Look at this and that. All exactly. It's just creating. And then you got the ops guys running around going, hey, look at the efficiencies on these machines. Right. Well, that's great. We aren't shipping any of this stuff. You're building inventory. Yeah. So let's focus on what's important, the on-time delivery, mm-hmm. instruction, get the schedule and stuff focused on that. Let's control our costs, both indirect and direct. And let's keep our inventory levels where they need to be. Yeah. Sure, there's going to have to be a certain degree of inventory, or amount of inventory. But it's not 12 months worth. Right. That's insane. And then once you've got those three, then you can start to build some others under that that contribute to that. Yeah. I like that, the simplicity of that. It is. And it really is, I mean, the basics of the business. It hits the customer service, which is critical and key. I mean, that is the number one driver of, of a successful business. You know, mm-hmm. you know is, is your customer happy? If you don't have an on-time delivery, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Knowing what it costs, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then the inventory. I've seen that too where as an, and coming up in the corporate, starting out as, an, as the ops guy, that's all I was concerned about, the efficiencies of this. And mm-hmm. I got a hard lesson in that from my boss. I'm like, yeah, but why are we producing if we're not selling? And that you hit on that key point in that cost, the, the, the classic gap or – conflict in an organization where sales promises the world and ops has to deliver and how do you get those two people talking together so that sales guy isn't promising the world you know what i mean having mm-hmm. that education so the sales guy isn't promising the world or at least having an ops background and the ops guy knowing what the challenges of the, of the sales force has that's right i mean it it, it may be the market price is a dollar yeah Okay, so the company needs to make a decision: Do I want to be in that business? Yes or no? Right. Or what value do I bring to get that added, added uh, price for it? Yeah. 
But but then the other part is, yeah, ops and sales need to be talking. Yeah. And in a lot of organizations, how is sales graded? How are they rewarded? Well, they get a commission. Commission, right? Right. And is, it, and is and commission so based on how much they made? No, it's based on what the revenue was. That's right. Well, how's the ops guy graded? Yeah. He's graded on how much it costs. That's right. Whoa, wait a minute. Those two don't align. So what I've always tried to do is with my uh, the leadership team is have the metrics, the measurements, the rewards the same. It's where they've all all got the same finger fingers in the same pie. Yeah. We're all working this together. Yeah. And we're all on the same team. Yeah. Can't tell you how many organizations I go to, you know, sales is at war with ops and ops is at war with quality oh, yeah. and you know, engineering's at war with you know, pick one. Yeah. And HR thinks they run the place. And you go, right. oh my word, this is this is nuts. And that goes back to the leadership. Yo, the vision isn't clear, the strategy isn't clear, and all these actions out there, you know, I gotta go get my commission, I gotta get my bonus, I gotta get they aren't aligned. Yeah. And that's where the leader needs to step in and stop the chaos. Mm-hmm. Focus on, like I said, those three things. On time delivery, which is basically the schedule, yeah. the cost, and the inventory. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Who's your ideal client? I mean, who do you who do you, who's your the typical or the best business that you want to work for? What type of company are you looking to work for? Ones that are looking for some help. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, the big hundred, five hundred million dollar businesses. What I want to do, I'm basically semi-retired at this point. Mm-hmm. And what I want to do is to help groom that next group of entrepreneurs, upcoming CEOs, to work with them and help get their fundamentals in place and work with them to help grow and accelerate the performance of their business. Yeah. Because when I was coming up through the ranks, I wish I had a mentor yeah. that I could go to, you know, to help me with this stuff. Because a lot of what I did was trial and error. Yeah. In some cases, trial by fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came up through the, the school of, you know, learned it on my own. Yeah. And I sure wish somebody was there. What about this? What? I'm thinking about this. What? Not that I'm going to give them the answers, but just... A sounding board. Yeah. And it's interesting that you you call your company the Tomcat Group. Obviously, um, the influence of being a pilot and being an officer plays into everything. We hit on some of that. I'm curious about when, when you approach organizations. I know from my end when I've done that, and because I talk about the Marine Corps a lot, mm-hmm. there's a tendency initially if they're not familiar with the military they have a perception of what, what you're going to come in and do. They think I'm going to come in and be like full metal jacket and, and change everything. But it's the exact opposite. And I'm just curious if you've had, one, that same um, challenge to kind of people who aren't familiar. Are they expecting a guy that's flown F-14s, you know, they're expecting Tom Cruise to come in here and, you know, in a flight <laughs> suit and talk about, you know, you need for speed and all this other trash, you know. But it's really – it's not that. I mean, and – and then two, once you've worked with companies who haven't been familiar, have they seen, do you see what I'm saying? Have they experienced, oh, I get it now, and yes. kind of a revelation? You yes. Know? Talk to me about that. There is an intimidation factor that's been pointed out to me mm-hmm. more than once. Even, yeah. even my wife says it. You know, yeah. You know, Chuck, when you walk into a room full of people, even in a church group, you know, they kind of know who's in charge. I mean, <laughs> she says, no, that's just the way you just the way you carry yourself. Right. And then you put the F-14 stuff on on top of that and, you know, some of the other things that I've done. Um, 
so yeah, that helps gain the credibility piece. Yeah. But really, it's the interaction yeah. and the trusting relationship and the high levels of integrity that we learned coming up through officer yes. candidate training. You know, that, that's, that's important. And in, in fact, just a, just a side note, I hired a lady to put together my website uh, three, four years ago. And I was telling her what I want out of it. She says, no, I, I, I understand all that, but I'm not going to do anything until you give me the list of 20 people that you have worked with that you know, and I'm going to interview them. I says, really, 20 people you're going to do? Yeah. And she did. And she called me when it was all done, and she says, I'm amazed. Every person that I talk to says, Chuck is a man of his word. He's a man of high integrity. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to go do it. Right. And, I mean, that, that made me feel good. Because I can't tell you how many times through, through my career, yeah, I've had the opportunity to push the envelope, so to speak, on, yeah, we probably shipped a little bit more than what I said we did, but not really. We shipped it on the you know, 32nd of the month, not the 31st. Didn't do any of that stuff. Right. If there was ever any question, if a product was non-conforming when it was finished, it didn't ship if I knew about it. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, I, I drew a hard line there. And I, I wouldn't be doing what I am today had I not done and taken that concept yeah. to the, I won't call it the extreme, but the high end. Right. Because really when it comes down to it, that's all we have is our integrity. That's right. You're absolutely right. And we talk about it. We talk a good game about it. But I think, again, you know, are we really doing, are we really being the leader that we profess to be even when no one's looking? You know, I think that's, that's the, the ultimate really kind of test and the challenge that we should be pushing ourselves for. Because right? people are watching. Because, yeah, people are watching whether you know it or not or whether that's you right. like it or not. That's right. And they know. They know. And they know. They know. They know. I mean, people out there that are working for you, they're not stupid. They're not stupid. I mean, they're the brightest people in the whole organization. In fact, what I've always maintained is I find out more walking through the shop Mm -hmm. than I do sitting in my own staff meetings. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't mean that derogatorily. It's just... It's the truth, though. Yeah. I mean, I I can walk across the floor and see something, and it just doesn't look right. Call it experience. Call it, you know, six cents, seven cents, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But on the same token, I've got... A level of rapport with the guys on the floor that they're comfortable coming up and talking to me. Yeah. Not that they're trying to tattle on their boss or anything. It's just no. Hey, what about this? What about this? Hey, how you doing? I mean, it's well, that's I, the relationship. Yeah, and I think it's one of the, the primary currency that, and I contend that the primary currency you need if you're really interested in dipping your foot in the leadership pool, and your goal is to lead an organization or lead your team, whatever the case might be, if you're dipping your foot in that leadership pool. The primary currency you need is authenticity and transparency. And, of course, integrity, it's under that umbrella of integrity. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, authenticity, transparency, um, coupled with confidence. Mm-hmm. It's that intensity of, intentional intensity of will combined with a servant humility. And that's a very powerful combination. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest thing that I got out of the military, flying planes, is that combination. The greatest pilots I've flown with, the greatest officers that, have mentored me, have had that combination of intensity of will. And, inten- and that intensity is like the intensity of getting things done, doing it what's best in the interest of the mission, the organization, whatever. Mm-hmm. But coupled with this servant humility, and that sweet spot is the, is the goal I think we should be striving for. Yep, exactly. And two, two things I'll add to that is a good leader spends 95% of his time using his ears, yeah, listening. Listening, yeah. You know, and, and I see a lot of leaders out there that, you know, no, 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 no. Go, whoa, whoa, listen to the situation. Let's get the situational, situational awareness here. 
And, and then the other aspect is you can't lead an organization sitting in a conference room with your staff or sitting in your office. You've got to be out there with the troops, with the workforce, yeah. looking at what's going on, observing, g gaining that rapport yeah. with, with the team out there. Yeah. Um, what, what I've always done is, yep, I'll spend two, three hours a day out on the shop floor. I've been chastised for that. You know, why, why do you spend so much time out there? Jeez. And, and then the other part of it is I'll meet with the, the entire organization once a month. And I'll tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly all, all the way across. But more importantly, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we going to do to fix some of these things? Okay, so, so we had a, a difficult month. Okay, we had some issues. Or, hey, we had some great things. Hey, I'd like to point out, you know, Johnny and Mary and Tom for what, what they did last, last month. I mean, it's, it's all part of it. Consistently hearing from the senior leadership, uh, that's, uh, it's big, you know. Be visible. Be visible. Very important. And if they know where the ship is going and why it's going that way, then they're going to be engaged. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Exactly. Well, we hadn't even touched on two of your books. I mean, we're already in 33 minutes in this conversation. <laughs> it's been a good discussion. But let's hit on your first, you know, just so people know about it. Your first book really talks about patent a lot, which I, when we first met and we talked about, oh my goodness, sorry about that. I'll edit that out. We talk about your first book. When we first met, um, we talked about Patton, and I've known about Patton on the cursory and being a military history buff, I know about him. But you really dive into his leadership style. Why are you so such a fan of Patton? That's, that's, that's kind of a funny story. The movie came out, what, 1969, 1970. Mm -hmm. I was in high school at the time. I saw the movie. Well, wow, that was pretty loud and colorful. Right. Um, and then, uh, like I said, joined join the service. And I was taking a trip overseas when I was in business from Boston over to Europe, and I needed a book to read. So I went through the airport bookstore, and there was a book, War as I Knew It, General George Patton. I go, oh, I saw the movie. I, I'll read the book. And what it was was, it was a rather thick book, and it was just a, a diary of all of his papers through World War II. And I read it, and I went, boy, this is a rather interesting individual. I mean, sure, we see him on, on the movie, and he's larger than life, you know. And he's, mm -hmm. but he was a very, very self-conscious. Uh, he's very hard on himself. Never good enough. Had I done better with this, this wouldn't have happened. And he was always trying to make things better. So I read the book, and I went, "Wow, that's kind of interesting." So I read another book, and then I read another book, and then I read another book, and then we were living in uh, New Hampshire at the time. And then in reading the books, I found out that. He had his family house, or family home just north of Boston. So we went down and found that, and his son was still you know, working the family farm and that type of thing. He, too, was a, a general in the Army. And what I found was what Patton did early in his career from a process improvement standpoint, always, I mean, he was basically started the tank corps when he put together the Desert Training Center out in California just before the war, he had an airplane, and he actually spent his own money to put radios in that airplane so he could talk to the to troops from there. He was always on the cutting edge trying to make things better. Innovative, yeah. Innovative. Then when the war broke out, I mean, with what he did with Second Corps and, and Third Army and some of the other things that he did, a lot of similarities between that and doing a business turnaround. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was in the military, if my ordinance didn't work, that wasn't usually a good thing. Right. But in a lot of cases, I, I work with companies that they've got a, I won't call it relatively high, but they have an acceptable, in their mind, 
return rate of product going out the door. You know, I, I don't really like working with that. I don't, like Patton said, I don't like to go over the same ground twice. Right. Um, same thing on the innovation side. Same thing on, during the war, everybody knew where Patton was going. Same thing in business. Everybody in that business needs to know where, where the leader wants to go. And then he was also big on putting the plans together. I mean, we, we all, a lot of people don't remember or aren't aware of it, but the Red Line Express running all of the, or excuse me, the Red Ball Express running all of the supplies from Normandy into France. Mm -hmm. I mean, he helped put that together. That's right. And he felt like he did yeah, he didn't get a lot of credit for that. Um, no, he didn't. Yeah. But he helped design and put yeah, all of that to get right. all of the supplies up there to keep the troops moving because he was still moving forward. Yeah. Constantly moving forward. It's the same thing in business. Businesses need to constantly moving forward. And he, too, led from the front. He was always out. He would drive all the way up to the front lines, and then he would fly back at night so the troops wouldn't recognize the fact that he, he didn't want to be perceived as being retreating. Retreating back, yeah. Right. And then he'd, he'd go back up and do it the next day. So a lot of similarities. Yeah. You know, God had the metrics. How far did we travel today? How many prisoners do we, did we take? How much gasoline did we have? What, where, where is everybody? Mm -hmm. And they all knew exactly what it is and what he wanted to do. So I kind of took that, what he did, married it in with what I was doing, and while the similarities just turned itself into a book. And Accelerating Performance is the name of the book? The, the full title of the book is General George S. Patton on Accelerating Performance in Today's Business World. Yeah. And, and the short title is just Accelerating Performance in Today's Business World. Yeah. And, and like you, I'm amazed at the number of people that don't really know who... General Patton well, was. and I consider myself a history buff and a World War II buff. There's not much you can't ask me about World War II that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But even having that conversation and even hearing with you five, six months ago about Patton and now talking again, is like, God, I've got to study him more. I, I need to give him a second look because I think I, I hit the surface and certainly impressed with what I found. But you've gone deeper and, I'm, <laughs> and, and it's piqued my curiosity because you're right. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, cursory level against looking at Patton, we got the George C. Scott version. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah, and all anybody thinks about is him slapping that boy in the tent, you know, mm -hmm. and he's way much more deeper, in, like all of us are. We all got complex and deep stories, and, and he was. He was a very, even from what I've known about him, his style overcompensated for those kind of lack, that, that, that whatever that head trash he had about himself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that drove a lot of the way he was. But mm -hmm. he was very caring. That's the big thing I always got about him is that he cared immensely about his, his people. Oh, he did. Oh, my gosh. He, he way sure did. I mean, and it bothered him. I mean, he always carried that, which I think is a mark of a good leader, someone that's just always thinking about, you know, the folks the way he did. He always thought, had he been better, that his troops wouldn't have been wounded or killed. Right. Had he been a better leader, that right. wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And that, that tore him up at yep. the time. Yeah. But he was a, a very, very complex individual. Mm hmm And he was also very misunderstood. Yep. As a lot of us are. Yeah. <laughs> As a lot of us are. Exactly. And that led to pinnacle leadership that came out, which is great, which is really a, you know, a, not only a book, but it's, a, it's designed as a workbook as you go through it. A lot of places for me to really ask questions and, and write them down. Mm-hmm. And if you're honest with yourself, um, if you do the work, um, 
only good things are coming of it. But you ask some questions in there that if, if, if you have to be honest, it takes some thinking, it takes some time for you to really dig. Because I think a lot of times, and I know it's been my struggle as a leader, why am I even doing what I'm doing? And if I can get that alignment and clarity, which takes a lot of work, at least it does for me. Because I think if I was honest with myself, a lot of times I do what I do because one, it was either expected of me, or number two, I'm more interested in the idea of being a leader instead of being in love with actually leading, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in love with leading, but I think if I, if I honestly looked at my career, I think in the beginning I was in love with the idea of leading, right? Of the title, of the corner office, of the privileges that come with the rank. You were probably more thinking as a manager versus yeah. a leader. Exactly. A manager's in charge. I tell people what exactly. to do. A leader is in yeah, growing people, working with people. Yeah. There's a big difference. And so my point is what I love about your book um, is it asks those kind of tough questions that are they're not tough in the sense that they're difficult to understand. They're tough because it forces you to be honest and authentic with yourself. But once you do that, the payoff is huge. And so yeah. I appreciate that's what I appreciate about Pinnacle Leadership. What's, what's, what's funny about that is I've given that book and I've sold a lot of those books. And then I'll follow up. Did you read the book? Yes. Did you answer the questions? Well, <laughs> no, those are hard. That's right. And I say, well, they're not meant to be hard. They're meant to be thought-provoking. Thought-provoking. To, to yeah, that's, the, that's the great, that's the better term, thought-provoking. Exactly. Yeah. But great job on that. And um, so how can people get in touch with you? How can they find out more about the two books, um, use you for your services? How can they get in touch with you? They can get a hold of me through uh, my website, chuckumbert.com. Also, uh, send me an email at chuck at chuckumbert.com. My books are available on Amazon. And while we're on the books, there's going to be a third one coming out, uh, probably first part of next year, called Pushing the Envelope. Oh, I like it. Which is going to be more focused on personal performance. So it'll kind of balance out the, uh, the other two that we've got here. Very good. Well, I'll have links to all this on the post. Chuck, it's been a blessing to get to know you over the last six months. I look f I'm so glad that we're in the same tribe. I look forward to working with you and collaborating with you in the future. And you always got to welcome home at Dose of Leadership. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. Hope you're finding some great value in Dose of Leadership. Hey, go check out my website, doseofleadership.com. Get your free access to some videos or to my free ebook. Also, check out richardryerson.com. If you're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, seminars, or you're needing somebody to speak at your next event, I'm always available. Check out more at richardryerson.com. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. I'd love to hear from you. Richard at doseofleadership.com. It's a great way to get in touch with me. Find me on my Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, Get in touch with me. We'll make it a great one. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 